Well, good evening. It is a blessing to be here with you again this Wednesday evening. I've, I really enjoy this room. Um, you know, when you have a, a smaller intimate gathering, it just really adds to the intimate gathering. And you can hear voices, uh, you can feel the energy from one another, so it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 6, verses 14 through 22, and actually 14 through 23, but verse 23 we're going to do next week. I've broken this down into two parts, and it's two plates, part one, and then two plates, part two. And part one just dealing with, with the situation and the reality of um, who are we going to be a slave to? Are we going to be a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness? And for us, never even to think about the option of going back. And then when we get to next week, the, the next last part, we look at the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's begin. If you're able, let's stand as we read uh, Romans chapter 6. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. So uh, it won't be too different. And we'll start with verse 14. Romans 6, verse 14. And we'll read through uh, the end. For sin will not have dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but grace. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin and become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking, I'm in verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now... Present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the same time, at that time, from the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and is in eternal life. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Father God, we get tastes, we get glimpses, we sometimes get a vision ourselves or a dream at night of what it will be like to be face to face with you. Until then, Lord, uh, you've equipped us and you've given us everything we need to go on in this world. And we're going to spend a little time now in your word and may that your word, Lord, be in us. So that, Lord, we are not only just readers of the word, but we become doers of the word. And not so that we can be puffed up, but so that, Lord, you might be known. Be glorified this evening. I pray, Jesus, I would decrease, you would increase. And I pray that, again, the body is edified and, Father, you are glorified. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So please be seated. 
I don't know, I don't know how long you've been saved, how long your Christian life has been, but uh, we all can agree whether it's been one year or it's been 45 years or more uh, that the Christian life we in is a, a glorious thing. It, it's one that's marvelous and perplexing at the same time. And I say marvelous because it's marvelous because of what Christ has done for us, what Christ is doing in us, and what Christ has promised to us. We have been saved from hell. We, 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 we've been given eternal life. We were once orphans. Now we've been made members of children of God in the family of God. We were once at war with God, but now we're at peace with God. We've been adopted into the family, which is an awesome thing to think about that with all the rights of the firstborn. We've been made co-heirs with Christ Jesus. We have a citizenship now here on the earth, which is called the United States. But as I look at the United States, I'm going, I'm not so sure about how valuable my citizenship is. But we have a citizenship in heaven, which will never be taken away from us. We are light and salt in this dark and decaying world. And we are day by day, as the Bible tells us, and we know by personal experience, being by the will of God and the purpose of God, being transformed into the image of his son. So that's all marvelous. But it's also perplexing. And I say perplexing because even though we have been saved and we've been, as we read in the Bible, we've been set free from the penalty of sin, we've been set free from the power of sin, and the day's coming when we know we'll be definitely free from the presence of sin. But until then, as Paul writes in chapter 7, he recognizes the struggle that we can have while we are in these mortal bodies. I'm going to read chapter 7, verses 15 and 17. For Paul says, For what I am doing I do not understand. Boy, do I say amen to that sometimes. <laughs> For what I will to do that I do not practice, but what I hate that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it's no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells in me. So we read that. We know we have, we're in good company. We're not some isolated freak Christian out by ourselves, but this is the common experience for all of us. We have a wonderful promise from the Lord in Philippians 1.6, and you know it, being very confident of this very thing, that God has done what? He's begun something in us. And God is going to be faithful to do what? To complete it. I don't know how many projects you've started in your life that you've begun but never completed. Or began and you completed it and it wasn't really as good as you thought it was going to be or at least you had in your mind. But the work that God is doing in us, not only has he begun it, but he's going to be faithful to complete it. And the completion is going to blow our minds. It's, it, it's going to be absolutely marvelous what we get to experience. Now, we read here in Philippians 1.6, being very confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Because I think sometimes we think this work that Jesus is doing in us or in our life is something um, exterior to us. That the work he's doing is a work to give us a, a, if you would, fulfilling a dream of ours or a vision that he's placed in front of us that, that he's going to lead us to and through 
or a missionary opportunity or the, the, the work is some other thing of ministry endeavor or some goal in life. Now, those things are part of that. I, I, I don't argue that, that they're not a part. But what I'm saying, when we read there, he says he's begun this work in you. So the work is not just putting on a new coat or taking a shower and putting on, you know, the smell well and all that stuff. The work is in us. What is God's ultimate goal for us? His ultimate goal is that we would be more like his son, more like Jesus Christ. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by how? The renewing of our mind. The renewing of our mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. What is good, acceptable, and perfect. It is so important that we renew our minds. We are being bombarded, you know, 24-7 by other things that want to get inside. And we have to, we can't do it on our own, but we can renew our minds on the things of Christ and the word of God and worship and song with the brethren together, prayer of one, one another, ministering to one another. We renew our minds. In Romans 8, 28 and 29, which is a, a text I will be teaching on, on the last Wednesday of this month, but Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that all things work together for the good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also did what? He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Talk about a wonderful work. And all that we have to do really is yield. Just yield ourselves to the word and the will and the hand of God. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from, from one degree to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. It's a wonderful process. Ephesians 4, 24, we're told to put on a new self, created, the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Now, this is the process that's going on in our life, even as we are here this evening and driving home. But this process can be hindered. It's a process by God, but it can be hindered by me. It can be hindered by me by quenching the Spirit. It can be hindered by me when in verse 11 of chapter 6, where we read that, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ Jesus to God in Christ Jesus. Or your translation might say, you reckon yourselves. I love that better than the King James's. You might reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, if I don't have that reckoning in my heart towards my life, then I can hinder the process of God in my life. My reckoning, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to self, I'm alive to him. So this, this is a desire, this is the work of God for us. And because that's God's desire and that's God's work in us, for us as Christians, there's no in-between. And what I mean by that, we are either walking in the spirit or we're walking in the flesh. There's no, no, no in-between there. Now, in our text, Paul says something 
in 6.15 that is similar to what he states in 6.1. In 6.15, he says, What then are we to, to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. In chapter 6, verse 1, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In verse 2, by no means, or God forbid. Now, so they almost look the same, sound the same, but they answer different rhetorical questions. In chapter 6, verse 1, we read, are we to continue in sin? And, and, and it's continuing in, in sin, misusing the grace of God, so that we might continue in, in a sinful pattern, a sinful way of life, a, a uh, habitual sin. Verse 15, he says, are we to or shall we sin, which speaks more of a single sin, a, an occasional sin, uh, a, a missing the mark, as we often do in our own lives. But either way, we have a choice. We have a choice. The answer is, shall we do, shall we continue in sin, or shall we sin? The answer is obviously not. God forbid. We have a choice. In the Bible, as it presents life to us as God's children, concerning sin, concerning sin, there are no gray areas. There are things, each of us in this room, we've done before Christ that we are ashamed of. And had we continued in those things, in that way of life, in that practice, it would have brought us certain death. There are no gray areas. Sin is sin. But praise the Lord, there's a lot of grace areas. There's a lot of grace areas. Grace from God to us, who deals with us, who sin occasionally, sin here and there, get, let it get the best of us, and he deals with us as sons and daughters. And, and I'll tell you what. I've, I've uh, had a life where I've visited other ways to know God through vegetarianism, Taoism, uh, Buddhism, all the other isms that there are that you can think of. And it is so refreshing, so relieving to be under the care of a loving father who treats me as his son. Now in our text, Paul is using examples of master and slave He's using the examples of fruit-bearing. And keep in mind that as Paul presents this, he's talking about the believer who's under the grace of God and the believer who's under the grace of God and the problem of occasional sin in our life. Now in verse 14 again, just reminding us, he says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. For sin shall have no dominion over you. How does sin have no dominion over us? The answer is because we're not under the law anymore. We're under the grace of God. Spurgeon says about verse 14, he says this, that it presents a test and a promise. Verse 14 presents a test and a promise. The test is when, you, when we read this as a believer, for sin will not have dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace, we have to say, well, am I under grace? Am I under the grace of God? And, and that, if you would, would be examining our lives. Examine, is there in my life something that has dominion over me? It could be anger. It could be pride. It could be uh, something like covetousness and bitterness or something even sexual. But we need to examine ourselves. 
I think it's very important when we come as a body of Christ to the Lord's table. We examine ourselves before we partake of the table. Not to condemn, but preparation. Just preparation. But the promise is here as well. Because the promise is, as we read here, we are not told in anything that Paul says in, in, in this chapter in, in, in Romans, we're not told that for the Christian, sin is gone. But we are told that it will not have dominion over us. The only time sin is going to be gone is when we're face to face with the Lord. And uh, I tell you what, that is going to be glorious. We are covered by the grace of God. And as I was reading this and looking at this and studying this, I'm thinking of being covered. Would you rather be covered by the heavy weight of the law or the wonderful light grace of God? Because even Jesus himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, he said, I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart. He didn't say, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I'm going to beat you to a pulp. I'm going to lay some laws on you that are going to make you so, so low that you'll, you'll regret you ever came to me. No, he's gentle. But we are not under the law. We're under grace. For me, it's like, it's like tr- trying to get warm on a very, very cold night. And you have a choice of getting warm under three or four heavy wool blankets or a nice down comforter. Now, they both can get you warm, but one is a lot more comfortable than the other. A down comforter, comforter, it gets you warm, it's light, it offers freedom of movement, it's just a lot more pleasant. So having said what Paul has said, he asked the rhetorical question in verse 15, shall we sin? I'm reading from the J.B. Phillips translation. Shall we sin? Can we choose to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And of course he says, certainly not. By no means, or God forbid, In verse 16, Paul states that what he is saying is self-evident. Look at verse 16. He says, Do you not know that if you present yourself as anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or obedience which leads to righteousness? He's stating that this is a self-evident thing. It's obvious. There is no middle ground. You are going to be a slave to sin or you're going to be a slave to to righteousness. We cannot serve both. Jesus in Luke 16, 13 said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. It's, it, it works spiritually, and it works practically. In our lives, whether you're at work, if you're on a, on a, a sport team, You know, you better be serving your team and not the other team because you like their uniforms better. There's no middle ground. I was taught early on that Christians are not to be mugwumps. Some of you might know what I'm referring to. With your mug on one side of the fence and your rumps on the other side of the fence. Get off the fence. Because if we truly believed ourselves to be dead to sin, it will be proved out by our presenting ourselves to the Lord, yielding ourselves to him completely. 
because we're told that to whoever or whatever we present ourselves to obey, that one will, we will be a slave to. Now, most slaves don't have a choice of who their master is going to be. Slave. You know it's doulos. You know, the slave describes a person that's completely controlled by someone else or something else. Here we're given the choice of sin to death or obedience to righteousness. The choice is ours, he says. We have been set free in Christ Jesus, free from the bondage of sin and the power of sin over us. And, and again, the day is coming when that is going to be taken one step further, and that's from the presence of sin. And as the song goes, I only can imagine what that's going to be like. But we have a choice. We can choose, even for a half a day if we want. We can choose to satisfy our flesh in a multitude of ways, or we can walk in the Spirit in His way. Multitude of our ways, or walk in the Spirit His way. Now there's this friction that Paul states in verse 7, that there's this friction in our life, there's this tension in our life, and, and, and it's between the flesh and the spirit. And when those temptations come our way, whatever form they may take in your own personal life, we need to look at, it's not really, well, we have this choice and that choice. We have only one choice. The other one is no option. It's not even an option. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the little town of Sutter Creek. And I don't know, all right, some of you, there's a... The best pizza I've ever had in my whole life. Yes, some of you have eaten their gold dust pizza. See, yeah, it's it's the best. Um, I and I've I've eaten a lot of pizza. And so, if you were to take two plates and then put on one plate a slice of gold dust pizza, and then on on another plate you were to present what I'm going to present to you. Some dog droppings. <laughs> now, years ago, my wife and I had a purebred English Airedale Terrier, which is the largest of the terriers. He was purebred. We had the papers to prove it. There was no defilement in him as far as dog goes. But if, again, you put some of them, our purebred, and we named him Samson. He was just so big. But you take some of Samson and put it on a plate, and then you have gold dust pizza on another plate, there's really no choice. There's, this one over here is, from Samson is not even an option. Not even an option. I want us to notice in verse 17, Paul breaks out and prays as he often does. He says this, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. You see, we heard the good news. Then we responded to the good news. And our response to the good news wasn't just head. It wasn't just intellectual. And it wasn't just emotional. Though that can be part of what we, who we are. But, but it had to come from the heart. It, it, the response was something inward and genuine. It wasn't just an outward expression to obey again laws and rules and regulations. 
the heart he mentions. The Bible tells us that from the heart comes the wellsprings of life. Proverbs 4.25, we're told to keep or to guard our heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. That's, that's my duty. And, you know, and as a parent, your, your duty is not only to yourself, but to your children. You want to guard them as much as you possibly can, or your spouse. You want to guard your spouse as much as you possibly can. But each of us individually, we're to guard our heart with all diligence. Matthew 15, 18 says, those things which proceed out of the mouth come from where? They come from the heart. And I, can't, I, like, to, I like to point fingers at other people when I, when I mess up. But I can't. When it comes out of my mouth, I can't say, well, where did that come from? Paul, it's all your fault. No, it came from inside me. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Ephesians 5, excuse me, Ephesians 6, verses 5 and 6. Servants, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. From the heart. So we are to be slaves of God, not just outwardly, but totally with our whole being, beginning from the heart. It's an inward, outward movement, not an outward, inward movement, if you would. And then in verse 17, notice he says that form of doctrine that you receive or that standard of teaching that you were given. And he's referring to a specific pattern of apostolic teaching that was being presented in those days, the word of God that was being taught and was given to the converts to show them and help them understand of the commitment they were going to make by accepting Jesus Christ as Savior. And it was a commitment that was laid out which meant total obedience to God and his word. It was, if you would, as we read here, it's a commitment of profound slavery. A profound slavery. Verse 18, and having been set free from sin, you became what? Slaves of righteousness. We are presented here the example of a heartfelt obedience to Christ and his word. And we're told that it is an obedience that brings forth liberation in verse 18. It's an obedience. See, to the flesh, to, to those things, there's no liberation. But being a slave to, to God is total liberation. And because of that, we can no longer become slaves to sin. Now, is that not awesome? In verse 19, it's kind of parallel to verse 16. He, he says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. What a deal. What an exchange we get there. We come out the better. It's a good deal. Everybody likes a good deal. This is a good deal. In John chapter 8, Verse 31 and 32, Jesus said this. And then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, he said, if you abide in my word, you are what? My disciples indeed. And then he said something about the truth. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall do what? Set you free. I tell you, 
It's a win-win situation. It's a win-win situation. So, Paul is talking about a situation here that we now have with our Lord that we willingly place ourselves in an obedient, subservient position to him. We are not, and I play, again, we are not in bondage anymore. Because when we were adopted, God doesn't put his children in bondage. He doesn't do that. If you look at, read the whole of chapter 6, we find that in Christ Jesus, we've died to sin. That's verse 2. We find in Christ Jesus, we walk in newness of, of, of life. That's verse 4. In verse 6, in Christ, our old man was crucified with him. And then verse 6, our, in Christ, we are no longer slaves of sin. And it goes on and on in verse 7. We, in Christ, we have been freed from sin. Verse 8, in Christ, we live in him. Verse 9, in Christ, death no longer has dominion over us. Verse 11, in Christ, we are alive to God. And then verse 14, in Christ, we are not under the law, but under God's grace. Now, that's just part of in Christ. But does any of that sound like bondage? Boy, it sounds like total freedom. Total freedom. So Paul presents two slaveries, one that leads to death and bondage, and one that leads to righteousness and eternal life. And he's basically saying, as a, he's saying, choose life. This was the same offer that was given to the Israel through Moses. When God was speaking to them, Deuteronomy 30, 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today before you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Okay, let's stop there. God's making it plain. I've set before you two things, life, death, blessing, cursing. So I'm standing there. Okay. Therefore, he says to me, choose life. He has to tell me. <laughs> because who I am. He's instructing. He, he, he loves me so much. He says, those are the two choices, John. But listen, <laughs> choose life. Thank you, Lord. Verse 20 tells us about the deceitfulness of sin. Look at verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What does that mean? It, it, it means, basically, there was a deceitfulness of sin. That we were, from the human fleshly point of view, we were free. From the worldly point of view, when I was living my life the way I wanted to live my life, how I wanted to live my life, where, wherever I wanted to live my life, from the worldly point of view, I was free. I was free, you bet I was, from righteousness. I was free from God's will, God's plan, and God's purpose for my life. And some freedom that turned out to be. There's in Proverbs 16, 25, says something like that. It says the, the man has a way, but its way leads to death. There's a way of, the, of a man. But that way, whatever that is, it's going to lead to death. And we can have those ways, just short, short little ways, when I think wrongly or I act wrongly in those moments. I've killed a moment. I've killed a, 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 a relationship even. I have to be careful. Verses 21 through 22, he speaks of what fruit is produced. Look at verse 21. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. 
Verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. What fruit? There are things that we know, and I mentioned earlier, that we've done in our lives before Christ that we are ashamed of. And we ought to be ashamed of those things, but know this, not condemned. Not condemned. And I'm ashamed of enough of those things that I don't want my children to ever get near it. So they don't have to have that same experience. But we are not condemned. I love chapter 8, verse 1. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it is better for us to have come to the Lord and then look back at our life and feel some shame for those things that we did that he's covered now in his grace it's better for us to realize that and see it and feel some shame in it than to have been a, li- a, a life that just continued on in that which would actually bring us death. Now whether people or not know it or agree with it, we're living a life, either a life that is a slave to sin or a slave to God. And both produce fruit. Both produce fruit. The question for us And the question we might ask those we might be witnessing to is what fruit do you want to produce? What fruit do you want to receive? I'm going to close with a silly story. But I think it gets the point across. It's a story, it's not perfect, but think of it this way. You're a dishwasher at a restaurant and not a really desirable part of town. And you've been a dishwasher all your working life at this restaurant. Pays poor. The position is pretty poor. The job itself is messy and dirty. Stinky. Ever been a dishwasher? I have. Always cleaning up the mess that somebody else has made. And you're always back in the back. And all the people out in front that are enjoying the meal don't even know you exist doing that messy, stinky, dirty work. And then one day, you're approached by a person, and this person offers you a position in his restaurant downtown as a chef. And you say, you know, I don't know much about being a chef. I've only been a dishwasher my whole life. Well, that person, he confidently convinced you that if you stay close to him, that you'll learn all you need to learn about being a chef and he'll teach you the way of the chef. So he offers you this new position downtown. It's a great position. The pay is great. The job is where you have other people cleaning up your mess and you get to eat well. So you agree. I'll take the job. And he says, can you start tomorrow? You said, you betcha I can start tomorrow. So... You can't wait, though, to get home that evening to tell your family of the good news. That you are no longer have to be this dishwasher in this dirty old broken, stinky old restaurant in the bad part of town. That you've been offered to be a chef at an uptown restaurant. And the pay's good. The family's going to prosper and be better because of it. So the next day comes. And you show up at a new restaurant. New position, new boss, all is well. What a great experience you're having. Then it's lunchtime. Okay, well, you take your lunch, you take your lunch break. You go out, 
outside, sit in the patio, eat your lunch. Then lunch is over. And instead of going to your new boss, you decide to return to your old boss. And you walk across town, get down to that little dirty, sinky old restaurant, show up to your old boss, and you say, what do you want me to do? Now, it's a silly story, but I, I tell you what, that would be a foolish thing to do, to have all that opportunity, to have all that given, to have all that just bestowed upon you with really nothing that you've done, and to try to present ourselves back to the old boss. Now, I, I, I firmly believe that in this room tonight, we are individuals who struggle with sin here and there. But we need to take those sins captive to the obedience of Christ Jesus. Because if we don't, that little thing, that little living in the flesh, that little living in, 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 in the sin that feels so good, you know, when you get even, honking the horn. Speaking in tongues with the horn on the road. You know what I'm talking about. It feels so good. But it, it, it's death. It just brings death. So we just want to make ourselves slaves to righteousness. Because in verse 22 we're reminded. But now having been set free from sin. And having become slaves to God. You have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. So know this. There's only one option. The other stuff is not even an option. I love uh, Philippians 3.14. I press onward towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so that's my prayer for all of us this evening. That as we leave here this, tonight and whatever God has for us tomorrow and the rest of this week, that we go on pressing towards the goal. And we read, it's the goal of the upward call. It's an upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. So, Father God, it's all good. You have offered us all good. And, Lord, forgive us when we fall back, when we stumble. And you're so gracious and loving and kind to us, Lord, that uh, you tell us that the righteous may fall seven times, but rise again the eighth. And we don't want to ever presume upon your grace or take advantage of your goodness towards us, but we're so thankful that you are that way with us. And so as you are with us, again, let us be that way towards others. And let us, Lord, uh, be mindful that we would make sure we are renewing our mind, that we are doing those things to guard our heart, that we are being a slave to you. And it's a slavery that gives us liberation. So thank you, Lord, for such a trade, for what we used to have to what we now have. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, so next week,